0: Hello and welcome to The Digital Lighthouse. I'm Zoe Cunningham. On The Digital Lighthouse, we get inspiration from tech leaders to help us to shine a light through turbulent times. We believe that if you have a lighthouse, you can harness the power of the storm. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Jess Figueras, who is a tech strategist and also the chair of the National Childbirth Trust. Hi, Jess, and welcome to The Digital Lighthouse.
1: Hi Zoe, great to be here.
0: Can I ask you to start by telling us a bit about your role? So I guess, what does it mean to be a tech strategist? And maybe also a bit about the National Childbirth Trust.
1: In my role as a tech strategist, I'm here to help startups and scale-ups to grow and I work on them projects around market development, commercial strategy, product development. Right now working on a really interesting range of projects for really different kinds of companies, but what they all have in common is they're all small and they believe there's growth out there for them and I help them find it and go and get it. Obviously my other job, I'm chair of the board of NCT, which is a large charity. It's been around for 65 years. So very, very different kind of job. And hopefully we can talk a bit more about that today.
0: So I always remember the NCT because my mother was a member and she had little coloured tokens that she could swap for babysitting. So that was my uh, my first education about created currencies and how effective they may or may not be. (laughs) Fantastic brilliant so how are times turbulent for you right now and I guess at the NCT but maybe also at the kind of other organizations that you work with so obviously
1: COVID I mean NCT just like everybody else has been really really impacted by that so love your mother's story. I mean, what we're really known for is, is peer support. I think NCT probably was one of the first charities to really turn peer support into a you know massive nationwide movement. So, you know, the idea of parents supporting parents rather than just kind of waiting passively to be told what to do by the state, you know, was quite a kind of disruptive thing. And, you know, the impact of social distancing on that model which has traditionally for us been very very face to face has been has been catastrophic you know for the parents we support really really tough it's a vulnerable time anyway in pregnancy and soon after soon after birth so at that point they're being kind of stripped of your networks is very very tough for the nct it really hit our income clearly because you know when people went into social distancing that kind of panicky time we had in March it meant that most people who were they you know, would have thought about booking an antenatal course just you know didn't for a few weeks hung back waited to see what was happening and we, we were kind of faced with putting our thousands of courses that we run every year online with a couple of weeks notice to do it really and so that's what we did <laughs> and we now have a fully digital online antenatal course offering which has been hugely successful and popular actually so we are we are providing a lifeline for those parents who otherwise would have been even more isolated than normal which has been incredible but it's been an extraordinarily scary time for many people
0: right because pregnancy obviously is a a vulnerable time in all kinds of ways one of which is you know you're kind of physically more vulnerable than you are normally or certainly to physically in a very different position to to how you are normally. And so I can imagine that it would be a time when you would be even less keen, (laughs) let's say than the average person to go out into an environment and to mix with other people when there's something that's potentially life threatening for two people rather than just one person.
1: Yes, absolutely. And of course, COVID is it's a disease which we're only just starting to find out about, you know, the the, the limits of our knowledge are, are extreme. So, you know, there's just there's just a lack of evidence and knowledge about the impact on pregnant women on small babies, we just don't know. And that adds adds to the anxiety, doesn't it?
0: Yes. So how did you go about transitioning to a different essentially a very different delivery model and presumably replacing something that had been the way you did things for a very long time since kind of very well established that's
1: absolutely at the heart of this I mean fundamentally our antenatal courses are all about the incredible skills built up over decades by our practitioners who deliver those courses and you know, our practitioners work in a face to face way very, very skillfully with groups. There is so much more going on than one would think, you know, in any kind of group setting. And our practitioners are very, very good at observing very sort of small, subtle dynamics and you know, working with those groups to make sure that everybody is included, everybody gets their needs met, people leave with the information and the, the friendships, you know, they need to get them through those tough times. So how to replicate that experience online, you know, it's it's so much more, isn't it, than simply just putting a group into a Zoom call. It's so much more than that. So there were lots of aspects of this. I mean, one was obviously just logistically, and it was a round the clock effort. I mean, our our people were were extraordinary. I mean, the hard work that went into it, I just cannot describe it in terms of logistically just creating all of those courses online recreating them setting up the links you know we're talking about thousands every every year here contacting every single parent individually you know to ask if they were happy to make the transition to talk them through that so that was a huge logistical exercise but then separately you know we had this process where we had to support our practitioners to learn how to work with that new model and i think here actually you know the real strength of the NCT is in that kind of peer-to-peer support as I said and that's also the case in our practitioner community so their ability to talk to each other and to very very quickly share experiences you know literally after every session you know this worked this didn't work a tip from me don't bother doing this (laughs) have you thought about this very sort of practical detailed so you know that that process of really rapid iteration it was very very real you know we have we've had a period of extreme learning actually and it was yeah quite quite extraordinary
0: incredible so what I really like to focus on on the digital lighthouse is kind of not just the challenges and the turbulence that we go through but actually what is the learning that is uncovered by that so what kind of deep lessons, I guess, are you taking away now from, from having been through this?
1: So I think fundamentally, the first thing is about the power of community, you know, and the power of when groups of people decide that they, they want to come together and they, they want to make something happen. I mean, it's it's the oldest cliche, isn't it? The power of the movement, but it delivers extraordinary, extraordinary things. You know, a group of people that is motivated under extreme circumstances to pull everything out of the bag. Never underestimate. I think perhaps that is easier for organisations where there is a mission involved, where there's a social mission, perhaps than than all organisations. You know, I think where people feel a a duty to each other as well. You know, they they feel they owe it to to each other, you know, to make the change. So never underestimate that. It's caused me to reflect a lot on actually the structure of our economy, interestingly. Mm and the role of digital in our economy which has been really interesting we were quite fortunate in that fundamentally the technology we needed to put our the backbone of our income generating services online was was not complicated i mean we're talking zoom that's that's it (laughs) okay so you know we were kind of lucky zoomed everything we needed to know of, of course it doesn't you know we're looking forward to seeing much more innovation there but fundamentally it wasn't that complicated and you know we've seen there are other kinds of businesses which can go online like that so we've seen rapid transition of all sorts of training online events that sort of stuff so okay so that's that's good but if you look back kind of pre-pandemic what was one of the things that we were we were starting to get anxious about as a society and it was about the role of automation in our society and we were starting to worry about what was going to happen to jobs and employment from from automation you know what we've seen is that digital in recent decades and in recent years particularly it's really sped up the destruction of you know many types of jobs you know particularly kind of clerical jobs you know now with COVID, we're facing into the worst unemployment crisis that we've seen in certainly decades, possibly hundreds of years. So what, what are we going to do about this? Is technology going to make that worse? Because I can sort of see from my other role as a tech strategist, you know, the flood of digital inventions is, is not stopping. You know, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible what we're seeing now, what's coming out of, you know, AI, robotics, you know, but where where is the technology which is going to support jobs? You know, I think that's kind of what concerns me. So. So, you know, what we've learned through the NCT is that Zoom supported jobs. <laughs> Literally, you know, it allowed us to continue, allowed our practitioners to continue to deliver their services. But, yeah, many other areas of the economy. where well, it's not the case. So I kind of reflect on the fact that, like many people, when I went into social distancing and home, home working, you know, I cancelled my gym membership. I think I used to pay £70 a month for that. And I signed up for a Fitbit subscription, which I think costs £80 a year. <laughs> okay, so my gym membership supported supported a lot of jobs. people People working in the gyms, trainers, you know, there's a whole kind of economy of skills there and services which are delivered by people. My Fitbit subscription, I suspect, supports far fewer jobs, you know, very, very highly skilled jobs, technical jobs, but the number of people actually able to use their skills in in personal fitness, very, very small indeed. So I think that's, that's kind of one of the things that I've been reflecting on an awful lot, you know, where the technology is going to come from now that's going to support jobs of the future, you know, that doesn't just automate away economic activity.
0: So, so interesting. And I think there's actually a link between those kind of two aspects of what you just said. So I think that that's just a great example of a learning of something that isn't new, (laughs) but is perhaps highlighted by this, this idea of people and motivation and teams and working together. And also something that we were certainly discussing at Softwire for quite a while before the pandemic hit, the idea of motivation through social mission. That actually human beings, there's this kind of economic model of human beings as working in return for money, whereas actually human beings are much more driven by how do I contribute? How do I make the world better? How do I how can I be acting in ways that further my own needs, where one of my own needs is connection and compassion and helping other human beings. So I think that's super interesting to me that that's the learning that for you in the NCT was you know highlighted by going through this so then on the other side we've got this like you say this question that's been around for a while does technology make more jobs or does technology destroy jobs I mean I suppose obviously it does both but do you end up net up on jobs or net down on jobs at the end of it And that's interesting for me as well, because I think jobs are all often looked at as numbers. So how many people are employed, how many people are not employed, how many vacancies are there? Whereas actually the part of this equation we're concerned with is the people side of it, right? It's actually jobs are only a strategy for people to be able to live fulfilling lives, which they do in in a whole number of ways, not just economic, but again, giving people purpose, giving people a reason to get up and and do things. And so I just thought that was a really interesting link between those two things that you've just said, that actually, what's at the core of all of this is, is people.
1: It is really interesting, isn't it? And what I love seeing is when, when you do see those organisations, but many of which, you know, are in the private sector. I mean, like you, you at Softwire, and I can think of some others that I know, where that sense of mission and a team cohesiveness and and the feeling of the the whole being more than the sum of the parts, you know, you know, that's a very precious thing. I think when we see that, and I wish that more more people could have that kind of experience of work. You know, I think the other great moral question of our time is this question about good work, isn't it? And this really plays into the terrible levels of inequality that we have in Britain and other countries, which, again, real worries that COVID is just making it much, much worse. And I think, you know, going back to this theme of jobs, but it's not just jobs, is it's good work as well. And I think what slightly concerns me is, you know, is digital simply perpetuating inequalities? It's kind of hollowing out the jobs market. So there are fewer, fewer good jobs for people with kind of less skills, whereas at the other end of the labour market, you know, there's a huge, huge shortage of, of developers, still huge shortage of people with tech skills. You know, what what happens when we do finally make, you know, mass self-driving cars viable when we eliminate 6 6 million driving jobs from the economy do we suddenly train up all of those people as software developers i'm not sure that's going to happen so i don't know what the answer is but i think you know i would love to see more technology innovation which focuses on enabling people who are not doing white collar jobs, you know, which, which helps people like, you know, gym instructors and hairdressers and drivers to have more fulfilling work lives and to, to do more and to be more prosperous. That's what I'd love to see.
0: Mm, and hopefully, you know, thinking of this in a, in a lighthouse kind of way, there is the opportunity now for us as a society to, as we move out of the pandemic, to try and look at this going forward super so there's learning on one hand and then the other thing I'm really interested in is change and what are you changing as a tech strategist as a result of living through this and this learning? what What is changing about your strategic advice that you're giving to tech businesses, I guess?
1: So this is not necessarily any different, but I think it has been thrown into much sharper relief. So for a long time, I've always encouraged companies to really not ignore what's happening around us, to think about the role of public life, about what's happening in public policy and politics and government. You know, I think for a long time tech businesses, as most businesses actually, really felt that government and politics, unless it unless, you know, they were selling to the government was not that relevant. Whereas now, I think you just cannot get away from the fact that the government is now necessarily so, so intimately involved in every aspect of the economy, you know, big big as it has to. The government is the only economic actor which is keeping things going at the moment. All businesses really have to think about that and they have to kind of work around it. So, you know, for example, following the direction of policy, what does that mean for opportunity? we've seen every development with covid policy has has created lots of innovation actually we've seen tons of innovation around contact tracing immunity passports all sorts of stuff going around there and i think that will that will continue that's good i think the role of digital identity is particularly important at the moment you know that's that's because you know the, stru- the structure of how we live has changed radically that's created opportunities for those who who have technology which can facilitate online transactions so i think i think this is the kind of key message really is you know just just do not forget how much the landscape has changed and it's not it's not going to go back now you know we know this is this is a really really significant shift
0: Again, what we've seen from the government is kind of underlying that message that, you know, like, like you say, perhaps it's not been a learning for you <laughs> in that you were you were preaching this message already. But now we've got kind of more, you know, situational circumstances to back it up in that I'm sure there are a lot of businesses who would have said their business was entirely independent of the government who have found that they needed to take advantage of the furlough scheme. For example, so there's a way in which it's highlighted the interconnectedness really of all of us.
1: Yes, that's right. And I think what you said before, Zoe, about fundamentally it all coming down to people is absolutely right. And I think the other thing that has really changed is I think the way now that we are seeing people as not some kind of separate sort of silo area of business you know it's it's something only that HR people worry about we're sort of seeing a fundamental rethink actually so if you look at now during Covid we also had the Black Lives Matter protests which have created quite extraordinary change I think you know, there's a lot of anxiety and trepidation about whether it would be just yet more kind of hand-wringing and then everyone would forget about it. And I don't think that's what's happening, actually. I'm seeing, seeing real change in the way that organisations and businesses of all kind now are really thinking very, very hard about what it means to be diverse, what it means to be inclusive, really facing into some tough issues there. And I don't think that's that's not going away. You know, I think this is a permanent, permanent change in, in the way that we see the role of organisations and businesses. You know, the other thing is now how we're talking and thinking so openly about mental health and particularly mental health at work. And in relation to employment, and again, you know, goes back to that theme around good work and good employment. You know, I think we're seeing the fruition of some really significant social changes now, and we're not going back. I think this is a permanent change of the landscape.
0: Well, that's fantastic. Just to finish, have you got any other thoughts on what the future looks like now, having been through what we have been through?
1: I think that we are probably in the early stages of seeing some quite fundamental changes in the role of organisations and companies in our economy. I think there's a lot to play out here. But, you know, we've we've sort of seen already, you know, that big trend towards self-employment and gig economy. You know, again, that's nothing new. but, But I think COVID is going to be one of those things that rapidly accelerates that trend as well. Organisations, I think, are going through so much disruption now that for many organisations were already, you know, in difficult shape, frankly, have been disrupted so, so badly by new technologies and new competition. For many of those organisations, I'm afraid that COVID is going to be the thing that, you know, pushes them over, over the edge. We're going to see many, many businesses, unfortunately, go under. What happens to that economic activity? Much of it will continue in different different forms. I think we're going to see new types of organisation, new types of collective. I'm really, really interested in the power of social enterprise in particular and you know, groups of people working together in, in more kind of loosely coupled ways. And I think the other factor that we shouldn't ignore, actually, going back to where I started talking about what's happened with the charity I chair, is the role of volunteering one thing we've seen actually is you know a huge increase in the number of people who are available to volunteer right now and an increase in you know social need but we've we've seen that, that there are kind of difficulties in matching those two things and I think we're going to see a lot more innovation in terms of different ways to use technology to bring people together to to volunteer, to help other members of societies in new ways. So I think hopefully that will be that will be something positive that comes out of this.
0: Well, thank you so much Jess for coming on the show today to help us shine a light for others. Thanks for happy me.